how do you engage two million students around climate education over seven years? That's the question we're gonna answer this week on the podcast. This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. We are talking with the Alliance for Climate Education and their communications director, Leah, who is very well versed on this matter and has been with them uh, since the very beginning. And she's got fantastic stories to tell. And I'm excited. You know why? Because this combines like my two favorite things, like George's favorite things, which is how do we really measure impact? And how do we use SMS and technology to really leverage uh, the work of a small team? And they, like, we have all of it. We have all of it today. They're going to talk about how they use SMS uh, on the ground, how they integrate it into their uh, really great uh, road show that they go into a school and they present. Well, I don't want to give it all away. We're going to jump into this, and Leah's going to explain uh, a lot of the, the different moving parts and how they leverage uh, and measure what they're doing on the ground. All right, I'll stop talking. Let's do this thing. Leah Cuspa, the Communications Director of ACE. How's it going, Leah? It's going really good, George. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you're joining us from Wisconsin today. Is that correct? I am. I recently relocated here, originally from Wisconsin. I lived in D.C. for a few years just before this, and then before that, uh, Chicago. So you've been with ACE for quite some time. Can you tell us a bit about what the organization does and your role there? Yeah, so I've been with ACE. It'll be seven years this fall. Um, I love the organization. You know, back in 2008 when we were founded and we started, you know, we really sought out to be an organization to fill this critical gap in climate science education that we were seeing across the country. And, you know, right now we're still the only organization in the country working at scale with young people to educate them on the science of climate change. Uh, and also to empower them to take action. And you know, the way that we see it, by empowering young people to really take action with a frame of justice and optimism, I feel like we're really shifting the national discourse on climate in ways uh, where we're proven to be really effective on shifting public opinion and policy. Great, so when it comes to actually like measuring that shift, talk us through the program and then how you can tell you're actually shifting thoughts and opinions on, on the matter. The first thing that we do really well is we teach climate science that puts young people at the center of the story. We have this really unique live in-school assembly presentation. It's award-winning and it's proven to work. Um, you know, we did a study of the ACE assembly with Stanford, Yale, and George Mason universities. It was published in the Journal of Climatic Change, and it showed that viewing it leads to increases in climate science, knowledge, concern about climate change, speaking to family and friends about the issue. You know, no over the years, we've delivered this presentation to more than 2 million young people in person since 2008. And, you know, just recently in January, we launched a new digital version called Our Climate, Our Future. And this is meant for streaming right into the classroom for places around the country where we just don't operate in person, but there's a high demand for resources to teach really high quality climate science. So this year, we're going to be doing an additional study to actually compare the in-person versus the, you know, the digital 
digital version for streaming into the classroom and see which one is more effective if there's a difference uh, in the impact of these two educational tools. And I think, you know, the biggest the biggest thing that sets us apart from, you know, any old climate change curriculum that we really create a dynamic multimedia experience for young people that speaks right to them. You know, we use custom animation, we use hip hop music, we use an SMS or mobile call to action where students can text in right then and there at the assembly and join our network to start taking action on the issue. So we really try to use tools and methods, um, you know, that speak right to a youth audience. Yeah, so you guys are like Al Gore on steroids up there, right? <laughs> I like to say it's like PBS meets MTV or like Lady Gaga meets James Hansen from NASA or something like that. <laughs> Perfect. Something for everybody out there. Yeah. So as you're looking at program evaluation and efficacy, especially as you try out your new, um, you know, our, our Climate, Our Future type of online training, what do your surveys look like? How do you actually tell, um, like walk me through actually like I'm sitting in the audience. Did I get a pre-survey, post-survey? How does that look? Sure. So we have two types of surveys that we're doing right now. So the first one is around that assembly and it is a pre and post survey. So it was a randomized study that we did with Stanford, Yale and George Mason, where um, we got teachers to agree in schools where we knew we were going to be giving an assembly presentation to do a pre survey with their classrooms before going to see the show in the auditorium. Then within a week, we did a post survey. And then what we did is we took all of these results, um, you know, and uh, our executive director was one of the lead authors along with our research partners at these universities, and we're able to get that study published and show just amazing jumps in attitudes and beliefs around climate change and willingness to take action. And in addition, we have an additional program around leadership development. We don't just stop at education. We really want to give every young person a chance to take action if they're so inclined to do so. And so right at the assembly, we ask uh, if students are interested in joining our network. And from there, we move them up the engagement ladder hopefully to eventually applying for our action fellowship. This is a year long intensive leadership training program that gives young people the knowledge, skills and confidence to really be powerful climate leaders in their communities. You know, we've we've delivered leadership workshops to about 4000 students over the past three years. So these are in person. And what we're doing now is a survey project with uh, some research partners at Tufts and an organization called Circle, where we're actually doing a longitudinal evaluation of the impact of our leadership development work. So this is also a pre and post survey project where, you know, when students are coming into the fellowship, what is their baseline level of engagement on the issue? What are their attitudes and beliefs about climate change? How much are they involved locally in their communities? And then on the post end, um, you know, we ask things like, did ACE play a role in, uh, you know, getting you to attend a four-year university or choosing a STEM field? And we've seen just incredible results. We recently had our first survey uh, results tabulated with Tufts and our director of education, Reb, who's leading that project on our side. And we saw just amazing results, particularly around the shifts where we're filling the race gap, where we have young people of color and then young people who identify as white in the program. The white students are coming in with a higher level of understanding, a higher level of engagement. But what we're seeing on the back end is we're able to close that race gap and that young people of color are leaving with just tremendous skills and knowledge and new behaviors around the issue. So it's really exciting. Absolutely. I can see why you'd be so excited about that. And I was actually wondering about the longitudinal because sometimes, you know, you know, the people listening are, wait a minute, you know, that's one thing to influence somebody after a week. But what after, you know, what happens after a month or two months or 
longer down the road. So it's great to hear that you have these engagement ladders and planned escalations uh, for young people that are interested. The, um, the next piece that I want to touch on here is your use of SMS, text messaging. Can you, can you talk to us about the, the reason why you got started with this and, and how it's evolved in your program implementation? So mobile is just king for us. When you're working with a young demographic, you know, they're not reading a lot of email. For example, our email open rate is between 10 and 20%, depending on which segment we're targeting in our list. We've got about 415,000 young people that are in our, our virtual list right now, including email and mobile. Now, when you look at the mobile side, the industry standard here is a 97% open rate. So no matter what you're sending, as long as they're not opting out of your list, they're seeing your content. And that is really, really important to us. We segment our list in a couple different ways. We've got sort of a periphery. So we've got these 415,000 young people. The peripheral folks are what we call listeners. These are people that are occasionally taking action. Uh, sometimes they're clicking on things that are really interesting to them. Sometimes they're not, but they're not opting out. They're still engaged. They're still uh, aware of the issue. They're still interested in hearing what we have to say. And then we have a segment that is more engaged. We call them the go team. This is our active list where if we send out a piece of content, if we have some action that we'd like them to take, we have a, a high confidence level that they're going to take that action. And then, you know, of course, people can maneuver. If somebody on the on the periphery decides to take an action, then they get moved to the active list. If somebody becomes a little less active on our active list, they move to the listener list. And the way that we send out SMS, you know, the listener list gets a text message every uh, every two weeks, and the active list gets a message from us about once a week. So there's a little bit more communication with the active folks versus the ones on the periphery. And we've just seen that SMS drives more action. For example, we were recruiting recently for our next crop of fellows um, for the for the fall school year. So these are you know the next hundred young people around the country that are going to be part of our in-person leadership leadership development program for next school year. And we compared email and mobile as we always do. We don't want to just completely discount email. So we usually try to send a few emails, but we saw, you know, just several hundred percent better engagement on mobile, um, through the click rates and the engagement rates there. And I, it, we've never been proven wrong there. Mobile is just a much better channel to get in touch with young people today. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and our data also bear that out from our experiences. Uh, but, Let's get down to the actual, like, people are in an audience. You got a thousand teens in the audience, right, in a, in a huge assembly, and you, you make a mobile call to action. What does that look like, and what percent yield out of that audience do you expect to get? So right at the assembly, what we do is we, we want to start small. Research says that a small individual action is one of the best ways to get someone engaged on the issue of climate change who's never been engaged before. So we have a campaign that we've been running since the early days, since 2008, called DOT, or Do One Thing. So during the assembly, we have custom animation built around this DOT campaign, and we actually have a texting war that we do at the school during the assembly where we say, okay, are you guys ready? Do you want to choose a dot? This is your first step to joining the climate movement is committing to doing one thing to protect the climate. So we have a whole bunch of different choices. We have great imagery and video around what dot, you know, examples of dots are. And then students are actually asked to text D 
D-O-T, you can do it right now. Text DOT to 30644. That's our short code, our mobile short code that we use for all of our campaigns. Once you text DOT to 30644, you'll be then in a drip communication with ACE. It'll ask what your DOT is. You'll submit that. You'll go through this flow is what we call it. And through that process, um, you'll get a series of messages over about three weeks. And through those messages, you'll be invited along the way to join other segments of our network. For example, our Go team, if you're interested in taking digital action with us, or you may uh, be asked to join our fellowship program or apply to do something there. So that's how you get in. That's the way that we capture. And you asked about sort of our engagement rates at the assembly. Over the last uh, eight years, we've maintained about a 22% conversion rate. So 22% of the young people sitting in an auditorium seeing our assembly are joining through our DOT campaign or another campaign that we're doing that year. So we have about a 22% conversion rate. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, do you have like a pre-post kind of idea of, you probably used to hand out flyers or used to try to get people to, to sign up. I don't know if you have any any benchmarks? I mean, I know that you get a lot less. I don't know if you have data on that, though. Yeah, we still do that because, um, you know, there's still some school districts, George, that actually ban the use of, of cell phones in school. Young people just mm. aren't allowed to have their cell phones. So we still struggle with that. And then there's other districts who are very welcoming. Um, so we still do use a paper quarter sheet in an instance where we're not allowed to use uh, texting. We we can do that. We've also had connectivity issues where young people, you know, can't get a signal in the school's auditorium or we always have the paper quarter sheets as a backup. We don't want students to be deterred because maybe they can't afford a cell phone or their parents won't let them have one or whatever the case may be. We do have paper quarter sheets and paper quarter sheets. If you make enough time for it, it can work, but it's certainly not as efficient and as amazing, um, you know, as, as using mobile. And there's always errors. We have a, you know, we have a data partner that we work with that enters all of that data for us and then sends us our, you know, the spreadsheet for our CRM. And it's just a complicated mess. So, having a student opt in using their mobile phone is by far the most efficient and cost effective way for us to get folks into the network. So we try to do that whenever possible, but we do have a backup. Interesting. And I don't know where I remember learning this from, but I think back in the day, you even used these conversion rates as a metric of success for how effective the, the different regional presentations uh, were done by, by your local teams. Yeah, we still do that. Uh, we use an internal CRM called Salesforce, which you may have heard of. And this particular CRM, we do employ a Salesforce developer on staff, our associate technical director. He's amazing. He's really customized our CRM for us in such a way that we're able to have dashboards down to the regional level where we can compare what are our conversion rates in New York City this week or this month or this year in comparison to, you know, Nevada or North Carolina. We're able to do that and segment in a really unique way. And for example, we've we've uh, run internal uh, little fun competitions between staff to see who can get the highest conversion rates in that particular region. Um, I remember we were all really surprised, but North Carolina did an incredible job. And I think, you know, in some semesters, George, that's 22% is just our average. We've gone up to 40, 41, 42% conversion. So how much do conversion rates really fluctuate? And how are you using this as a way to find out what's working in the field? Because you can actually measure people's, um, I guess, how effective they are at, uh, at converting an audience, right? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors that play a role. Certainly staff who have been doing this a long time and feel really comfortable and feel like they really practiced and seasoned as a staff member and giving the assembly in schools, they tend to perform probably at the highest level. But then of course, there's other things that factor in if a school or a district that you work in most often has a cell phone ban, um, and you have to use paper quarter sheets, or there's a delay in getting the data um, into Salesforce because of that, because it's not instantaneous when it like it is through mobile capture. I think these all play a factor, it helps us just really unpack what's going on um, and how we can mitigate any any things that are, uh, you know, making it uh, more difficult for young people to opt in and join our network at a high level. And so I think across the board, it just really helps inform our strategy in the field. Yeah. So this is really amazing because let's say I, I'm going to run out into to Brooklyn Tech and go run uh, one of these presentations. I can actually be quantifiably and fairly accurately measured on my my success based on previous benchmarks as well as national averages you know they allow cell phones so we expect you to be above 22 percent have you found any learnings from this about like uh growing like saying like what works i think certain things and and this might sound silly but audience size we have found that there is a, a particular audience size that is just right on the money that's sort of the goldilocks you know right and right in the right spot. Um, if the audience is, is too small, the energy perhaps isn't there that you'd get with a really big group. So if you know if it's under 100, um, maybe it doesn't have that, that energy quality. If it's too large, if you're talking 900 or 1,000 or more than that, it's hard for crowd control and just crowd management because you're one person. And you know, I started out into the field delivering presentations in uh, Chicago. I work predominantly in Chicago public schools. And and I'll tell you, some of those assembly halls can get pretty rowdy. And if, if if the crowd is just too big or you don't have a great sound system, I mean, there's so many factors that play a role. Uh, and, you know, of course, we giggle about these internally because everyone's had that just horrible assembly presentation where the planets just did not align. Um, but aside from that, you know, I, I really think that the perfect audience size combined with amazing AV equipment so that the, the audiovisual experience is really rich and really amazing, combining that with, a, with a, a field staff member who's really practiced and just an expert at what they do, I think that's a recipe for success and we do really well. Um, you know, I would say the school type usually isn't a factor, you know, whether it's public or private or urban or rural, suburban, you know, young people are young people. And we have an incredibly diverse constituency that we reach. In fact, over 70% of the young people that we reach um, are young people of color from urban city centers and are from public schools. And so I think, you know, that's just a testament also that, you know, we, we really want to be building a climate movement that is diverse as possible. It's interesting when you talk about diversity because so much of that is intentional. You're seemingly going after these schools in a unique way instead of seeing what comes over the fence. I may be wrong about that, but how, how does that play into your acquisition strategy? How do you get a school to be like, yeah, you know what, we have an hour to spare for you to come in? You know, I would say at the very start for us back in 2008, 2009, it was sort of like throwing spaghetti at the wall because we weren't a household name. Now we have uh, schools and particularly public school districts like Boston Public Schools or New York Public Schools where we are a household name. We've been to these schools for years and years. Every year they bring us back. They know the experience is outstanding. Uh, they know that you know they can really trust us to deliver an educational experience that's high quality 
and they know that the students are going to love it, that they're engaged, and that this is uh, not your run-of-the-mill assembly presentation. This is really something different and unique that students are going to enjoy. So I think that brand visibility is really helping us now. Um, and now we are able to sort of call the shots. We can strategize. We can say, you know what? We are very committed to justice and equity. We are very committed to changing the very white aging face of the climate movement. And, you know, young people are inherently diverse. We need to make a commitment and a real strategic effort to be going out into communities and into schools. So we are getting just a variety of uh, young people from different walks of life, different that are bringing different perspectives and different backgrounds to the movement. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, for the people that are listening that are just sort of getting that snowball rolling um, or starting their flywheel up, how did you get those first few schools? Like, what was the what was the method by which before you had a brand that you could rely on? Oh, man. Well, I was in Chicago at the time when we, you know, I, I joined the team when we had not been to any schools. And it was just a lot of cold calling. It was going to meet in person to give them a demo of what the assembly would be like. So actually sitting in an office with an associate principal or an activities director or a science department chair and doing part of the show just for them to convince them that it was worthwhile. It was collecting every single piece of feedback or every positive quote we could get from a school and making that highly visible on our website, using that in our marketing materials. It was a lot of sweat and blood and tears that we put into those uh, that first school year. But once we got there and once we, act, you know, people saw what we were about and they really got to experience this assembly for all that it was, uh, they were really inclined to promote us uh, through word of mouth to other teacher friends, to other schools, and of course, bring us back the following year. And, you know, at one point in 2012, we looked just to to see, you know, how many, what percentage of our schools are repeat schools. And at that point, it was above 60% that were repeat schools uh, that were bringing us back year after year after year that just loved what we did. Um, so I think that's a testament as well. That's, uh, that is the highest form of testament, uh, getting repeat business, of course. Absolutely. Um, you've got a distributed team. Uh, you've mentioned a different, different regions. Uh, how, how is this team organized? What kind of tools are you using or approaches are you using to, to really stay in touch and keep that energy as a, as a group? Yeah. So we are a virtual organization. Our operations and finance uh, headquarters hub is in Boulder, Colorado. We also have a few physical offices out there. Boston, for example, our Boston team works out of an office together. And then a lot of us are scattered around the country. Uh, we cross all four time zones, certainly. As a communications director, we have a team of seven, and we are in uh, all four time zones. So that is interesting and fun to be able to manage. Um, I would say, we have become incredibly savvy internally just at using technology to help us. So we rely heavily on video chatting, you know, Google Hangouts. We try to make, uh, you know, that circle that you can get in the office you know, that water cooler conversation or that circle at the end of the day where you're, you know, having a conversation in person, we try to replicate that online through different activities that we do collaboratively uh, that bring us into that space. And I would also say, um, you know, we do come together once a year for a, an in-person retreat where we can all get together and do team building and, uh, you know, strategic planning for the school year and uh, adaptive management of our various programs and learn from other experts that we bring in that do workshops for us. And so I think 
think that's really, really helpful. But I would say, you know, we're a, we're a pretty tech-savvy organization. Um, you know, this central hub of Salesforce, this, this CRM where we manage all of our data, everything from, um, you know, our funder base to our the schools that we visit to every single contact that we have on our various lists, whether it's our teacher outreach list or, you know, our student advocacy list. Um, I think that centralized hub that, that Salesforce CRM in combination with the unique way that we use the Google Apps infrastructure um, allows us to be really collaborative. Awesome. Okay, we're going to move into our rapid fire section. Uh, so hopefully you're ready. I did share yeah. some of the tools, but we'll see how you do here. What is one tech tool or website that you or your organization started using in the last year that you love? Social Toaster. It's a social automation platform. It allows us to be able to push content out uh, and have users share that from an email or a text message just with the click of a button. Talk about one mistake that that you've made in your time at Ace. One mistake. Um, you know, I think in past years, uh, we have not uh, paid as, not enough attention to depth. We've been so focused on scale, reaching that two millionth student. But now, you know, we're really, really, we care deeply about both. We care about uh, reaching scale and also achieving depth of impact with our programs. We want to ensure that we don't allow another generation of young people to graduate without a solid understanding of climate change from the best peer-reviewed resources. But we also... Uh, really want to make sure that we're finding out if our young people are making an impact on climate change and their immediate and extended networks through that more qualitative approach of just of making sure that impact is very deep for these individuals. If you could jump into the hot tub time machine and go back to the uh, 2009 Leah, who's just starting off at, at ACE, what advice would you give her? Oh, man. Just uh, stick with it. This is an amazing organization uh, made up of amazing individuals and uh, just stick with it. It's going to be hard. Don't have any doubt and just uh, just make sure that you stick with it. What's it going to take for ACE to successfully go out of business? Every young person in the country that this next generation is climate literate and prepared to deal with this issue head on in perhaps ways that uh, current generations are not doing. We have to make sure that we don't miss another generation. And I'm confident that these young people are going to get us there. I'm, I'm ultimately confident of that. What is something that you think you personally should stop doing? saying yes so much. I'm too busy and I need to learn how to say no a bit better. P.S. Thank you for saying yes to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> next question. If you had a Harry Potter wand that you could wave uh, and one thing would happen to the nonprofit industry, hopefully for the better, uh, what would that be? Better distribution of wealth. Too many of the big green organizations are getting all of the money. We need to make sure we're supporting the frontline organizations, the small to medium-sized organizations like ACE, you know, our partners that are working on these local issues in communities, and they've been doing so for such a long time. They need investment and perhaps more investment than some of the big green organizations out there. They have plenty of money. We need to spread the wealth. What is your advice to other nonprofits tackling digital impact? 
do experimentation and actually ask your audience. Uh, not uh, too often we just uh, negate going right to the source. At ACE, we have a just a tried and true practice of actually going right to the source, involving young people in our decision making about what types of tools and campaigns we're going to be running. Um, in addition, experimentation. Try at a very small level, prove your success, and then scale that impact over time. Don't invest a lot of dollars in something if you don't know it's going to work. Definitely experiment first. Leah, well done. That was a strong, rapid-fire performance. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All righty. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So as we wrap up, how do people find you and how do people help you? Great. You can go to acespace.org. It's A-C-E-S-P-A-C-E.org. You can see our team. You can find my contact information. We are actively seeking research partners and also local partners in the in the chapters that we have around the country for this next coming school year. Um, you can count on an incredible partner in ACE. We're a fabulous partner. We'd love to work uh, with you and hear from you. Please reach out. Brilliant. I'm sure they will. And we'll have all of these resources, of course, on our site and the show notes. Leah, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a good one. Absolutely. Thanks, George. Here are the big takeaways as I see them. One, you saw how they sort of had to get the flywheel going. Like they had to hustle, right? That's the answer. We had to get the first number of schools, but then they built the brand and it wasn't a one and done. When they talked with uh, an audience inside a school and they filled it with an auditorium, it wasn't like a, oh, I assume this presentation was good and I hope it will do well down the road. No, they're engaging multiple third parties to do the research on, you know, what did we change hearts and minds around this topic? Who are we talking to? And did it resonate? And the piece that is the big takeaway that I see most frequently dropped is how do we stay in touch after we deliver our services? How do we keep in touch with this audience in such a way that we can move them up the funnel? So just sitting in a seat and listening to an enigmatic presentation is not gonna lead to the long-term behavior change thereafter. So they're using tactics like the SMS tools. Uh, that particular one is through Mobile Commons. But they're using these tools in a clever way to continue the conversation. They get the permission to talk with their audience after the fact. So they open up the amount of time that someone's exposed to learnings. And then they call from that. I mean, they, they call from that the people that are most excited about the organization and move them up the ladder. They speak differently to them depending on how engaged they are, which is absolutely fantastic, right? That's how you do it. Uh, so lots to take notes on. Uh, and I hope you realize the, the opportunity maybe that uh, you know long-term surveying and SMS may have with your project. Take a look at some of these tools at wholewhale.com slash podcast where you can find all of the resources from this episode, episode number 54. Thanks for joining us. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast. And consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.
many people to thank for this one, starting with our very own Greg Thomas. And Greg Thomas' music can be found online. Thanks to him for intro, outro music, and interlude music, as always, creating special tunes out of nothing. And for the first time, I have not edited this podcast, and instead it's been done by our new, awesome, amazing intern who is helping us this summer, Candice. Thank you so much. You can find her on our website. If you want to make Candice feel good and, and me feel good, um, listen and share this podcast and leave us uh, a rating on the, the good old iTunes. Thanks for joining us.